Hey, podcast friends. If you love our podcast and want to help support us to continue making cool shit, consider joining our Patreon community. Get early access to each episode, a monthly hangout on Zoom, custom answers to your questions in exclusive Patreon videos, and much, much more. Head on over to patreon.com slash conversations with creators to become a patron today. Your support means the world to us. Now on to the episode. Where did the name of Mary Dote come from? So on purpose, uh, I wanted to come up with a name that kind of didn't mean anything. <laughs> Let's make sure that it's something that sounds like a martial art, but that the literal translation, I guess you could say is like the American way of the hand. Yeah, which doesn't mean anything like that doesn't like that's that i think that's, that's the point though is it like it's gibberish right so i wanted it to sound like gibberish we would get done with an entire video and even sometimes maybe start turning the camera off and start turning the lights off and stuff and then i would be i'd be holding some equipment and go i forgot to restart the grind hey quick question before we get started would you like to win a free piece of clothing from Snowman Films and a 30-minute chat about your creative journey with me? I know that I would love to connect with you, and I know that I would have loved to talk with somebody who had experienced a similar path when I was getting started. So let's make it happen. Here's what you need to do. Subscribe to the Conversations with Creators podcast, rate and review and share it in just five easy steps. First, write a review on your preferred podcasting platform and rate it. Five stars for good karma. Then, screenshot your review and share it on social media, tagging Snowman Films. Each month, I'll select one random winner to receive a free piece of clothing from our store and a 30-minute virtual coaching call with me. Again, subscribe, write a review, rate the show, screenshot that review, share it on social media, tagging Snowman Films, and get entered into a drawing for that one-on-one virtual session with me and some free swag. Thank you so much for taking the time to leave me a review. I really appreciate you, and I'm excited to see you in our one-on-one virtual call soon. Now, let's dive into today's episode. So the big question is this. How are creators like us, who aren't built for the 9 to 5, for the people who put their passion before them being comfortable? How do we turn that passion into a living that pays the bills and a life that we love? That is the question. This podcast will give you the answers. My name is Noah Mittman, and welcome to Conversations with Creators. Welcome back to Conversations with Creators. I am your host, Noah Mittman, and joining me today is the man literally behind the mustache, Master Ken. <laughs> How you doing? I'm good. I am. Uh, I, we were just talking before we got on, and I, I was so surprised. The mustache, everybody, is a prop, and it's a beautiful prop, and it's uh, what, what, what a thing that is. Yeah, I was explaining. Uh, we were when we were talking uh, before this. Uh, I was saying that like I did grow it out at one point, um, um, but not until I had been doing the show for a couple of years. And I thought, yeah. well, maybe maybe I just really need to embrace this look. And then uh, I had I had a full mustache for like a year and a half, and I didn't book one acting job in any other show. And then I shaved it. And then I booked the next two jobs in a row, and I was like, "Ah, oh, it's the mustache. It's the mustache." You need to be you need to be a clean slate for to mold around something. Yeah, yeah totally. Either I'm so either I'm Ken or I'm not Ken, but it's like it's a whole the whole look is a whole thing, and it's 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 either or. So that's got to be kind of nice, honestly, being able to like come out of it when you don't have it on a little bit. Yeah, it is. It is. It is actually kind of nice. It's something that I um I don't know if it, it probably won't last forever because i i'm i'm doing more and more projects where i look more like this yeah um i've actually really been able to enjoy some degree of um flipping on the anonymity switch because yeah, i will totally, totally. i'll go and do appearances i do live performance and appearances and things at martial arts events and stuff and when i'm in my costume i usually need like a uh, a, a couple of people like a security yeah. detail or, or some handlers to kind of get me through the crowd because people recognize me. They want to take pictures and all that. And if I change back, if I just pop into the bathroom and change invisible, I'm totally invisible. That's and amazing. So, it's yeah, like, that, it's straight up like this Superman disguise works. It's, we always call it the Clark Kent effect. And we yeah. always, we always joked about how ridiculous it is that like, Oh, he takes off. He puts his glasses on and no one recognizes him. It's a hundred percent real. There you go. It is more believable than people think. All right, there we go. <laughs> what what uh is it just like a regular what do you use to stick it on with? Cuz it it like 
I mean, you're doing physical stuff and it just doesn't go anywhere. Yeah, it's just spirit gum that you can buy. Uh, you know, I, I don't. I used to use the Party City brand. Now I get like a little bit better quality brand where it just like put some put some spirit gum, slap it on there. The only down, the main downside is like I can't. Um, I kind I don't like to shave very often. Yeah, me neither. Um, yeah, <laughs> and has to be mustache and clean shaven. If I yeah, I, like a day's worth of growth, the the viewers are like, what's up with Ken? He looks, <laughs> he looks a little scraggly. He's got to be clean. Shaven, so it's a lot so, of work. You've signed yourself up for a lot of work. I had, I known that's, that's the thing I, I tell people is like when we were doing, we did, when I first had the idea, I wrote a script for what became enter the dojo show, which eventually became more focused on master Ken. And I was like, a bunch of my friends had done like web series on YouTube, and I wanted to try something like that, but I had worked on a few where they shot a whole season before they built an audience and, and they didn't get the viewership they wanted. Right. Like, oh, well, now, because that's like making a whole movie. That's hard. And not, and not finding the audience. So I said, well, what, let's do a test. Let's like, let's just shoot like one video. And so we did a, um, we did a screen test in this little photo studio and, um, it was just feeling out the character. I had some some catchphrases written and some slogans and stuff. I wore a black uniform instead of a red one. It was still sleeveless. Yeah. Uh, and I, um, and at the last minute, I had invited my makeup artist, a friend of mine, uh, to do makeup over, and she pulled out a mustache and she was like, "What about what about adding this?" And I was like, "Oh, that's cool." Uh, <laughs> it was a last minute decision, but I didn't know that that one decision would follow me around for the next like decade. <laughs> that was it's always the small things that like define something in the moment that you're just like, oh, this is like a throwaway. And then you're like, this was the thing that brought us to life. Exactly. And I, I honestly don't know if the character would have done as well without it. I feel like that was a big part of the character. So, so, um, yeah, it is funny how the, those little, those quick, seemingly trivial decisions end up becoming, uh, so iconic, you know, to a Oh, degree. absolutely. <laughs> so, I mean, you kind of went into it a little bit, but can you kind of elaborate on the where the concept for Master Ken and the show came from and like what inspired you to, to create the character? Yeah, you know, I had been a martial artist since I was a teenager and um, I had also been really into acting and filmmaking and um, I went to film school. Um, I, I made a bunch of short films. I was trying to figure out how to work as an actor and a filmmaker and I was also a martial artist um, uh, off and on through those years and um, I had collected a bunch of anecdotes of being in dojos because I would move around. I moved around a lot in my 20s trying to find my, my place and um, I would just go to the local dojo and sign up. And I met a lot of characters. Um, <laughs> and I met a lot of great people. Um, and I'm, But I met a lot of characters too. And um, sometimes they were both. Sometimes they were great people who also said and did some wild things in the martial arts world. Because if you think about it, the martial arts world is really not regulated. Yeah. In a lot of ways. The competitions are, but I feel like everything else outside of that is kind of more yeah. Everything is kind of, you can just kind of decide that you're a master and you can kind of just open a school and you can kind of just make a bunch of crazy statements and do a bunch of crazy things. And like, unless you do something super illegal, like you're really, you can just have a school <laughs> for like 30 years yeah. and create your own microcosm of, of self-defense. Um, and so I, so um, over the years, I collected all these anecdotes, and I actually, the first version of this that I had in my head was going to be a bit more of like a drama, and it was going to be, it was going to be a more serious project. And then um, I discovered um, the BBC version of The Office, the Ricky Gervais, yeah, yeah, yeah. and I just became obsessed with it. Um, I, I loved mockumentary, I loved Christopher Guest and that stuff, but best the the Ricky Gervais Office was the first time I think I watched like. 10 minutes of the show before I realized it was a spoof. I was watching it. <laughs> it that's because it's so well done. It's like, you don't, so that's what brings, that's what like brings you into it is because it's believable. So and then something perfect. ridiculous happens. Yeah, exactly. I loved that. And it finally got ridiculous enough where I was like, Oh my God, this is like <laughs> a spoof. And so I said, I want to do that. I want to figure out a way to do my own version of that. Yeah. So I thought, well, martial arts is is something that i've been wanting to tell a story about for a long time um i had been doing like 
horror movies. Like I'd make like little short horror films and things like that. And a couple of little short comedies and, and they would go to festivals, but never the big ones. They wouldn't yeah. get into Sundance or slam dance. I'd get into smaller festivals and I even won some awards, but it never led to any work. Yeah. And, and it also, like I had mentioned before, when we were first talking, um, a bunch of my friends were beginning to make web series and put them on YouTube. And I was like, the heck is a web series, but it sounded like a cool idea. But what I, what I saw was that like one of the dilemmas was like, even if the show was good, cause I worked on a couple shows that were good, but they didn't build an audience first. They yeah. shot like 10 episodes or 15 episodes or, or entire seasons all at once and then steadily released them. And then if the viewership dropped off, they were kind of, well, what do we do? Like, right. do we just leave all these unedited episodes? So then like, it was such a shame to put all that work in and like not find the audience. So I said, okay, well let's do a test let's do like let's just shoot so we did a screen test i showed that to some people they gave me some notes some helpful notes um and then we and then i had the script for what became enter the dojo like a, like a little sitcom in a yep. dojo and we only shot three we shot four episodes in one weekend just like got together friday saturday sunday shot a bunch and i was like okay we're gonna edit these and if nobody watches, then whatever, we had a good time for the weekend yeah. and we, something we were interested in and we'll just, we'll just move on. And, um, I had been uploading short films that I had been made, that I had made in film school for a few years on YouTube and they get like 200 views, 300 views. And it was a film that took me like six months. Uh, and I was like, this is terrible. The hardest thing. Oh, it was so humiliating. <laughs> no likes my films. Like this sucks. This was so much hard work. And, um, but when we did this, when, when we released this, it, I think the first episode got like 10,000 views in like two weeks. Yeah. And I was, oh, wait a minute. There's an audience for this. We've, we, we've stumbled onto something here. And so that sort of began the whole thing of like, oh, okay, we've discovered an audience and we ran out of material immediately and had to go back. To, I, I suddenly had to fi figure out like, Hey, when is everybody free? Because a bunch of people want more episodes. And so we started, that started the journey of sort of developing the show and the character and everything. You had like your tight five, but you needed a whole, you know, years worth of stuff. Yeah, basically. Yeah. All of a sudden. And, and I, I still wish, I wish I had understood, um, way more about how, um, online content worked and how, uh, how different it was from, uh, from the, the traditional process. Cause I actually, I hadn't been out of film school very long. And, um, I was still very stuck in a sort of old fashioned kind of workflow and, um, things taking too long and focusing on, on too, on too many of the meticulous parts of the process instead of just getting content out. So it took a few years to really like build it to a big following, but at that, but, and, and it's still an evolving process, like every year oh, learning more and more about how to, how to connect with an audience, how to keep things going, um, but yeah, that was the beginning of all of it. That was that was how it how it started. That's wild. That's so crazy. So, because just looking at it, was there any my idea on like the inspiration for it potentially was it's so close to Rex Kondo from Napoleon Dynamite, right? Right. I mean, that, that was. I mean, that was something that's just what came to my mind. But the office yeah, makes so much sense all the time. Like this was. I mean, this thing was a was a ton of references. It was. <laughs> um, uh, it was Crease, uh, uh, from, um, that's his name, right? From, uh, um, from Karate Kid, the, the evil Cobra Kai. Oh yeah, 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 totally. John Crease, like, right. It was, it was him. It was, um, a bit, there's a guy, there's a guy in the Kempo world named Larry Tatum, who has got this big porn mustache who says a lot of wild things in his instructional videos. It was, um, it was things from a couple of instructors that I'd had who, again, who are, who are good, accomplished martial artists, but also kind of sometimes said some wild stuff. Yeah, that yeah, I, thought, yeah. I thought that's really funny. Um, so it became this Frankenstein of all of these things that I wanted to spoof. And I thought, well, I'll just cram all this into, I'll cram as many of these characteristics into one character as I can. And then the, the thing I liked about having the show that we started way back when was like, I, and then I'll, I'll caricature there. It seems like every dojo has a crazy devoted Brown belt. Who's just <laughs> psychotically devoted to, and, and will, and will do anything in order to get that black belt. And then there's always like a really timid character 
who's like really afraid to do anything and you're not even sure why he or she is there, but they always show up every week. Yeah. Um, so it became a way to sort of, um, to, to translate my experience through martial arts. And then, um, over the years, it kind of took on a life of its own. It became harder to shoot the, the show as like a full on with a crew and a cast and everything. So in order to keep up with the demand for content, I started just shooting content with just me or just me and one other person. And then those videos started going viral and I thought, oh, okay. So that's the way to keep it going is like, yeah. we'll just with like, um, with other smaller, simpler pieces of content, because, um, you can produce those quicker, they get more views and, and, you know, again, just navigating the way that this works really. No. And I mean, it's, I think, you know, done over perfect. Like, you know, you, I, it's, you chose the easier way to do it, which is exactly what I'm doing with it. Like, you know, I could be meeting up with people in person, you know, doing a whole thing, but I'm like, we keep it on zoom. We do this super easy thing. I'm, you know, I can reach so many people because it's doable. So you have chosen the doable version and it, and it still works. So, I mean, it's, you know, it wins. Yeah. It's kind of, yeah. And it's kind of necessary. Um, yeah. These days, uh, it, in order to keep up with the, I mean, the way the platforms are set up, they incentivize consistency and engagement. Yeah. So I love taking extra time to really craft things. Um, um, I directed my first feature film, um, about a year and a half ago. Um, and I really loved that process. Like I missed like the getting into the filmmaking part of the process, but, um, there are aspects of that, that you can't confuse effort with effectiveness when it comes to creating content. Um, just because I spent an extra week and a half or an extra month on the special effects or the, or the editing or, or the writing or whatever for this video doesn't mean it's going to make more money or get more views or lead to more opportunities. So, um, it's very difficult as a creator to strike that balance where like you're doing the parts of the process you enjoy while also not getting so bogged down in the details that you lose a lot of time. You got to try to find that balance. No, I mean, that's that preach it like that's, that is, uh, that's a big, big point that I think a lot of people miss it, I, I love that, that idea of effectiveness. That's chasing that is, is that should be the goal. <laughs> and I want, I'd still definitely, I still definitely fight for a balance. Um, because there are projects that I, that I want to do that do require more of the getting into the really getting into the craft. Um, I just have to, I have to chip away at those, like the, those, those are just going to take more time. So I like, I have like literally right before we were about to do this interview, I realized I needed a, a video release for this morning. So I went and looked out, I looked up a quick thing that I shot on my phone. I jump cut it. I, I, I like, you know, did a couple of edits in like the whole thing took me 20 minutes. I like, I, I took a three minute video. I cut it down to one minute. I subtitled it uh, or just did the auto captions. I corrected the captions, exported it, uploaded it. I did the whole thing in 20 minutes. Okay. That's my, that's my release for the day to engage fans, to remind them I'm still here to, to give them a little laugh first thing in the morning on a, on a Saturday. And now I can go on with my other projects, but like, that's, that's something I've had to. And, and the thing is I will do 10 or 20 of those that will get pretty average viewership. And then for some reason, one video in there will get 4 million views out of nowhere. And I'll go, I don't even know why. I don't even get why that one was the one. I have no That's idea. always how it works too. It's just, it's like, and it's never the one that you think. Nope. Ever. It's from, nope. what's funny for me is it's usually like the throwaway trend. And I'm just like, oh, this took five seconds to put together. This was, you know, sure. And then it just takes off. I was like, oh. Okay. <laughs> that's what happened with, that's what happened with us on TikTok. I wasn't, I, I was, I, I had some creator friends who were like, you got to be on TikTok. And I was like, no, I don't because I'm in my forties and I don't think that a 40 year old man should be making TikToks. And they were like, you're missing an audience there and it's yeah. a platform. So you should make some content. So they, they convinced me to make an account. We made a couple of, um, they already had TikTok following. So we made a couple of videos right there. They're like, boom, now you're, now you're on TikTok. And I was like, ugh. And so for like a month and a half, I would do one a week and I didn't really understand the format and everything. And then I saw a trend, um, and it was, it was, um, a trend where it says it shows like a weapons defense, like a gun defense. And it says in the movies and then in reality and in reality, perfect. 
And so I did our version of that. It was just a trend that was going around. It took us almost no time to shoot. And it was funny. It was clever, but it wasn't, I didn't feel like it was that much more clever than the other things we had done. But because it was a trend, that video got 40 million views. Holy shit. I like, I like didn't look at TikTok for a couple of days after I uploaded that and then opened it. And I, because I don't think I had the notifications on, I opened it and I had 600,000 TikTok followers. And I was like, oh no. <laughs> like I was happy, but I was also like, I was also like, oh man, now I have to be a TikToker too. Like I didn't mean it. Like, you were a TikToker and you just, it just dropped in your life. You're like, okay, more. Here's another platform. <laughs> exactly. That's the, so that's the beauty and the curse of the the era that we live in. Is like yeah. when a platform comes out, comes out, it's like another platform. It's another opportunity to reach an audience. It's another opportunity for monetization. Yeah. But then it's also another platform. I'm like, okay, so I have to make sure that in the morning that I, when I'm cutting my stuff, I got to go to Instagram, YouTube, short YouTube Shorts, uh, Facebook, uh, uh, TikTok. And then if you're on Snapchat, if you're on Rumble, if you're on the, it's like, okay, so you just have to go through the line and be like, okay, yeah, all of them, all of them, I guess. <laughs> you are describing my life. <laughs> that, have, um, have you looked into, because for me, um, when I don't have to like, I don't do it for this account for content, for conversations with creators, but for other ones where it's just content where I'm not tagging anybody else, I use uh, Loomly that you can literally hook all of your socials to one place, mm-hmm. edit edit the tags and just one click and it goes out everywhere. Yeah, I had I had done um for a while I had done I think there was one called Sweet or something yeah, like that. Yeah, Sweet. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had done that for a while. The thing that I I became superstitious about them because I wasn't getting the engagement that I wanted. And so mm. then I began natively uploading things like while I was in each app and I felt like I was getting better engagement. And I was like, can they tell, can they tell plugging it in to a thing where I'm not on the platform? That's total superstition. I have no data to back that up. I just became superstitious about it. So I was just like, okay, well, I'm going to start editing everything. All the short content I'm going to edit in iMovie on my phone. And I'm just going to upload the finished product directly. It takes like an extra 20 minutes. Yeah. Um, it's like, I don't know. I became superstitious. About no, that's fair. I got to, I got to track that. Cause I just started a couple of uh, other channels for like courses that I have. Yeah. Yeah. I want to see if it, if it affects that's a, that's a good I thing to look out. Done that. I also, uh, you know, one of the other things that I think is really necessary these days when it comes to the multiple platforms is, um, the other reason it's important to have content on multiple platforms is that they're never all doing well. There's right. always, in fact, usually there's one that's yeah. like leaping forward. There's a couple that are performing average and there's one that's in the toilet and it's never this, it doesn't stay that way. Right. Like, it's constantly changing. Always changing. Like two years ago, I want to say maybe, yeah, two years ago, I had the best year on Facebook that I'd ever had where videos were being properly monetized. They were going viral and it was really, I had been putting content on Facebook for years and getting decent engagement, but the monetization never aligned properly. And then it just worked. It clicked. And I was like, oh, this is the way this is supposed to work. Yeah. 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 And then, um, I want to say six months ago, something changed in Facebook and I don't know if it's their AI or uh, monitoring, whatever they decided that a bunch of content um, had violated their community standards, but they couldn't tell me how. And now our Facebook is 100% demonetized. We have one, we have 1.3 million followers on Facebook and it makes $0. And so, so I've been reaching out to, I, cause I was thinking, well, I've got, I've got a million followers. Like somebody at Facebook has got to be, talk to me about this. I can't get anybody on. No, on, it's impossible. It's impossible to talk to anybody. So it's for now, it's kind of a dead platform. Like I have 1.3 million followers and I'm kind of, it's, it's not, I, I will still engage with the platform because I still want the content to get out to fans, but it went in, in, a, in a period of two months, it went from the top earner to dead. So wild. Luck, yeah. And luckily 
I still have the YouTube. I still have the Instagram. I still have the the. Why well, you do all of them? Yeah, yeah. So that's why it's so important because huge. Weirdly, YouTube, particularly with YouTube pushing the YouTube Shorts format, that one picked up all the slack. I started uploading a bunch of stuff to YouTube Shorts. A bunch of them went viral, and that started to pick up. It didn't completely replace what Facebook was doing, but it, it picked up some of the slack, and it was like, okay, so still, still getting out the fans, still generating revenue. But uh, yeah, I'd, so so diversifying on as many platforms as you can handle, I think is is actually kind of necessary if you're yeah. gonna gonna be that focused on getting content out. That makes total sense. So back to kind of the character, where did where did the name of Mary Dote come from? So on purpose, uh, I wanted to come up with a name that kind of didn't mean anything <laughs> because one of the things that I noticed about. Um, a lot of the, when I would just drop into a martial arts school that uh, was very Americanized, was that it was disconnected from its lineage or its roots, you know, because I went to a very, my first, I was fortunate enough to train under a gentleman named uh, uh, Rich Pelletier, um, who uh, had a very direct connection to the lineage of, of the style. It was Okinawan Kempo. He had trained under a guy named Marcus de Valentino who had trained with Master Odo at Okinawa. So we knew our lineage. It was our sensei, sensei de Valentino, sensei Odo. And so we had a very direct connection to the roots of what we were studying. We used the, the we used the, the, the terminology, um, but I would drop into these other Americanized schools and they were just kind of a mishmash of all these things that they kind of either made up or learned from a bunch of different schools. And so I thought, okay, well, let's, Let's make sure that it's something that sounds like a martial art, but that the literal translation, I guess you could say is like the American way of the hand, <laughs> yeah. which doesn't mean anything. Like that doesn't like that's that. I think that's, that's the point though. Is it like it's gibberish? Right. So I wanted it to sound like gibberish. So yeah. that's something that like, and, and to give the idea that it was all encompassing because that was something that was also, a, 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 it seemed a consistent marketing tool in American martial arts was we do everything. Yeah. We've got, we got striking, we got punching, we got kicking, we got grappling, we got wrist locks, we got this, we got, we got, we got aerobics, we got the, you know, we, we got everything, you know what I mean? And so, um, in order, in a, in a, in a, in an attempt to appeal to everybody, there was this watering down of the art that yeah. was, yeah. I noticed so consistently in other places, I was like, well, I got to make a commentary on that. So I think you have super successfully, cause that's one of my favorite parts of the, like, uh, master Ken's privates where you'll learn about a new move right there. And then you're like, oh, of course, this is this is part of the defense that we have. And you like literally just learned about it. And the thing I've, I, the thing is I've witnessed that in person <laughs> where someone from another style yeah. will, will come in and this person's an expert in yeah. Filipino stick fighting or something. And I will watch someone who is a karate instructor be like, you know, we have all those moves in our system, but we do them differently. And then they, just, then they'll just start teaching their art. And it's like, oh man, like there, it is, at, it is at times so threatening yeah, that somebody else might know something that they don't, that they have to find a way to make it their stuff. And so I just find that funny. I, I, I can't believe that's based in reality. That's hilarious. It, the number of things that, the number of things that we do on the show that are, that are like, almost exactly cut and yeah. paste from life situations where I'm like, I don't even have to change it this much. I just have to kind of, I got to, I got to like turn the dial one, one click. Yeah. And it, it's mostly the, what's happening in real life. That's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. I mean, um, what is your creative process when it comes to like developing news? I mean, it sounds like it, you kind of draw from real life a lot, but is there, is there any writing process? How much of it is pre-planned and how much of it is kind of just off the top so in order to as as we're talking about like staying engaged and getting content out quickly um and being able to capitalize on trends and things like that most of what i do now is improvised um when we first started there were full scripts and and there have been some scripted content that has gone viral um we do um there was a video I think this was a couple of years ago called the twisted T technique <laughs> that was based off of a viral video. When that guy hit that other guy in the face with a twisted T and that like, Oh, there were all these memes from it. 
seeing these memes about twisted tea and I was like, what is with the twisted tea thing? And then I found the viral video and I was like, oh man, we should comment on that. And so I wrote a script for that one because, um, it was kind of, we were still kind of in semi lockdown mode and, um, uh, it was something where it could just be me and my buddy, Joe, who plays Todd, uh, my assistant on the show. And so I wrote, I wrote a script for that. Shout out Todd and all of the pain he goes through. <laughs> he is a, yeah, he is, he is, he is the world's best Uki because he sells all those hits better than anybody. So I work, I work with some really great talented, um, stunt men all across the industry. And I still got to say, nobody takes a punch or a kick to the groin the way Todd does. Uh, uh, Joe, Joe is, uh, and Joe is, a, uh, Joe is an accomplished, uh, black belt in American Kempo, um, and a great martial artist and a great guy. And, uh, he's, he's been great with that. So, so that video, we shot that scripted. I think we, add, we always add a couple of things on the, in the moment. Um, and then I edited that and put that out and it got like 14 million views and over the weekend, like, because it was just a trending topic that people right. were aware of and they started, started sharing it. Um, conversely, um, within a couple of months of that happening, a video that I did called how to break someone's neck, uh, where it was just me and the Bob and I was just showing them how to, how to break someone's neck in a comedic, obviously satirical way. That video was something I had come up with off the cuff. Um, hadn't thought it through at all. I just said, whatever came into my head, it was only a minute long. And then that one went viral. That's your top performing uh, video on YouTube. It is. It's our time. It went from 200 that like that had, and the crazy thing about that video is that had been sitting dormant for seven years. No shit. It was just a, it was just a, it had, it had topped out at 200,000 views and then it died. And I was like, okay, well that, that's fine. 200,000. Like that's good. And then in two months it went from 200,000 to 11 million. And it was just because people on Reddit started sharing it and they were like, this guy's crazy. Yeah. And so, but it was an interesting case study because there was this other video that we shot on like the Twisted T video. We shot it on a green screen so that I could put a convenience store background behind us so that we didn't have to go to a location. Um, I really took my time writing the script and editing it. It was like a video I really crafted that I was very really proud of, absolutely performed. And then there was this other video that was an afterthought that I didn't care about, didn't think about. And, and they both shown up phenomenally well. So, yeah. so, uh, so yeah, that's kind the of happy that. accident. <laughs> and, and, and I will say that like in between those moments, there are dozens of videos that underperform. Hmm. That's, yeah, that, of course that's, that's the nature of consistency. Well, that's what the whole consistency thing is like, you're not, it, it's honestly like the work is there, but there's so much to, doing so doing a lot to where hopefully one takes off but you got to do a lot to have that take off absolutely and you and like you can you can be very conscious of there there are there are certain best practices that you become more and more co conscious of but those viral moments have helped me be less critical of the content itself to realize it's not that the content isn't good it's that you haven't found the combination of elements for this particular video to catch, to catch everybody's eye and yeah. the next one, the next one might be. And so it's, it's really not really, it's not really about the content. It's about, um, a combination of elements that draw people to, to that particular video. The science of it is so interesting. What have, uh, what have been some of your favorite bits from over the years? Let's see. Um, some favorite bits. Well, you know, I will say <clears throat> the easiest, there was an episode in season two of the enter the dojo show called the thrust of freedom, um, <laughs> where you basically like hip thrust. It's kind yeah, of like yeah. a motion, um, turned, turned into a weapon. And, um, that was one of our favorite episodes that we, that we made from season two. And that's, that's still a bit where whether I am talking about the technique in an instructional video or whether I'm doing it live um, in a performance, that just is always a guaranteed laugh. Like that one, for some reason, like the combination of the name and the routine and everything like that one just is. A, it's is a, a, I mean, it, listen, it's a great name. Yeah, it's 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 a good go to whenever things are uh, whenever I need I need to uh, 
to get a guaranteed laugh out of people. It's usually something that that people really like. Um, more recently, the what, some of the things that have been doing well, like there's a really great audience for gun defense stuff. Um, uh, and that was something that actually really helped expand our audience because we used to be primarily focused on martial artists mm. as far as our audience goes. And over time, that became uh, very limited. We kind of had saturated that. And so then we started doing gun defenses and we did a bunch of just silly ones um, on Instagram and they started getting a bunch of views. So then I did a super cut. Like we did for a month, I think we did a new gun defense almost every day. <laughs> and then I took the best of those and did it into like a super cut, like a three minute video and uploaded it to YouTube and it went super viral. And I was just like, the audience started growing. And then we started getting um, invited to like trade shows in the firearms industry and and uh, started connecting with people in the military and law enforcement. Oh, wow. So we really, that massively expanded our audience. So, um, That's so really anyway. Cool. To find a yeah. new thing that you're like, oh, this is, this is a winner and can bring more you're, you it's like you start niche I mean, it's the classic you start niche and then you expand once you you know find something new and a niche can be millions of people like that's oh, the thing that's, you don't need to I, that that's the uh that's sort of the it's a flawed flawed model to try to appeal to everybody so like when you zero in on an audience it's like well yeah this is a very specific thing but there's maybe three million people that are super interested in this specific thing. So if you if you line up with that, then you can get great viewership and engagement. And uh, and 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 lately, doing gun defenses has given us a ton of of engagement with a lot of people who uh, some of whom find it very funny, some of whom are deeply offended. Uh, <laughs> and that's fine. Either one, I'll I'll take either one. Oh my god! I can't. I yeah. If I. I don't. If I showed that to my mom, I think she would uh, be on the offended side, and I would be laughing hysterically. <laughs> uh, that's actually a good segue into the next thing. Kind of, you obviously doing this full time. Talk to me about like the business side of the brand, and like what's your biggest source of income right now. Um, let's see. You know, the one thing that was really great for us, um, uh, I guess about three years ago now, was. Um, the introduction of shout outs the the like uh cameo yeah um th that was such an interesting revelation because people had been asking us for shout outs for years and i couldn't find an economical way to do it i just couldn't find a way that made sense right. um and because it, there was all this back and forth then it was like you know, they would, we would negotiate a price and then they would talk about what they wanted. And then I had to shoot it. I had to edit it. I had to find a, a delivery system, you know, where the file was small enough. And that it was just like, it was such a hassle. I was like, I don't really feel like this is worth it. Um, and so we kind of stopped doing them. And then Cameo reached out and they said, Oh no, we've got an app where you yeah. just, you know, like you get the request, you agree to it. You have a certain period of time to deliver it. You record it, you hit deliver and it just does it. And I was like, well, that's really cool. So I, and, and the thing is I got the invitation right before Christmas and I had a bunch of things going on. So I didn't activate the account until two days after Christmas. And then I opened the app the next day and I had like seven requests. And I was like, cause I was thinking, oh, well, I'm not going to get any traffic right now because everyone already bought all their Christmas presents. Right. And I had like seven requests and I was like, oh, okay. So people are interested in this. And then it just started, like, it just started becoming popular. And I was like, that, this is a really, this is a, it's such a simple way yeah. to create fun content for fans and to generate revenue in a, in a, in a, a low cost, low production way. And then to also take content from my shout outs, jump cut them in iMovie and release them as content. That's and a win-win. So, win. Yeah, so that that was a that was a big deal. Like like uh, the advent of of making those, and it stayed pretty steady. It still fluctuates from quarter to quarter. Um, but um, being able to do the shout outs, that's why we have a commercial at the end of every video. Now we have for for a few years now. We just remind people they can buy a shout out. Um, so that 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 has been a big surge forward because um, just reminding people that 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 that's an option. Um, is a pretty consistent thing. It takes. It doesn't take a ton of production. Doesn't take a ton of time, and it's something fans really like, and it's profitable. So that that's that's been a big win. 
Absolutely. That's super cool. I, uh, I, I That's like one of the coolest things that I've, I think have, has come out of the technology age is the cameo, just like being able to see your favorite people, characters, whatever, uh, do a personalized thing is like, I mean, that's, that's one of the coolest things that I can think to give someone as a gift. Like, yeah, it's, it's, it's a really fun idea. And it's something that like it, some, they, the people at cameo recognize there was a market for it. And, um, and I ought to, th- and I really like doing them too. Cause it, it's, it's almost like going to, it's going to improv practice, like almost every day where I'll have, you know, I'll have a stack of cameos and be like, okay, the, the way to keep this profitable and also not, cause I, I will admit when I started, I would overthink them. So I would do three, three, four, five takes. Of- oh no. Yeah. Yeah. I was like, I got to get the timing right. I don't feel like I said that joke fast enough. And then, uh, there was some time where I was on the road and I had a bunch of them were about to expire. And so I had to just knock them out in like 30 minutes. And so I did one take and I knocked them out all in 30 minutes and I delivered them and I still got five-star review. I got tips. People like, these are so funny. I was like, oh, I'm overthinking this whole process. I just got to like, I let, like, as long as I get their name, right. Like, unless I, unless I like knock the camera over by accident or something like this is one take. And so when I started doing that, it, it got me used to really just riffing and, and just doing and moving quickly and not overthinking the process. So really I actually feel like my improv has gotten a lot better over the past three years, just doing it almost every day. I just go in and work my improv muscles. Like, you know, once, you know, an, an hour a day for three years, you know, which I'm help. Well, I'm sure helps everything with, with the other content as well. Oh yeah, for sure. Because the, the other, the other thing that I had figured out, um, that I wish I had figured out earlier was, um, when I was on the road, cause I do live appearances, I do live comedy shows, things like that at martial arts events. And when I would do that, I would be like, well, I can't be bothered with making video content because I have to focus on my live performance. I must make sure that I'm completely focused on my live performance. And then over the years, I noticed like, well, gosh, when I do that, I fall behind in production. I'm not shooting enough content. So then the the social media kind of dies down. So then I have to wait till I get home, produce a bunch of content, edit it, upload, and then things will pick back up. And so started just getting the hang of shooting content at the events, being like, give me a couple martial arts, you know, like let, let's just shoot some videos really quick. And I'll just, I won't even be, I will. And because I'm meeting them there at that moment, I can't prepare anything. Right. Like they just have to show me a technique and whatever comes into my head is going to be my critique. And suddenly it became a more efficient way to shoot where I was like, gosh, we can shoot like four episodes in like an hour and a half doing that. And then it's just the editing time. And so, um, now whenever I'm on the road, I'm not just doing an appearance. I'm also shooting content. And, and and so that became another big revelation that I wish I had figured way earlier where I was like, no, 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 you're always making content always. Like when you go, you don't have to do it all day. But like, if you're in a new place with new people, pick two hours, knock out four episodes, and now you've got content to edit for your next few weeks. Do you do it during the live show or is it a separate shoot? It's both. It's both. Yeah. Cause I feel like that would be so, so cool for yeah. the people at the event to be like, oh my God, he's making a video right now. This is like what that are famous. Yeah. One of the things that most recently went viral was like me doing one of my silly gun defenses at a show in New York. Um, and um, the audience was really loving it. And the guy playing along was, was being a good sport. And um, the bit, the bit was going really well. So I took that one minute clip and put it out. And that went crazy viral on Facebook and YouTube at the same time, which never happens. Um, and so, uh, yeah, I absolutely, f- I now, um, my girlfriend films all my performances um, and we just sample from the iPhone, just grab a couple clips where that we feel could have viral potential, upload those. And, um, but we never count on it, uh, on just the performance being enough. So whenever we're in a new city, I just, you know, whoever, whoever, usually my hosts are martial artists or are, or it's for a martial arts event. So I just say, give me some people. Give me, give me three people and let's, let's do some episodes like right now and we'll just come up with whatever. And that's the content for the month. You are an efficiency machine. <laughs> I've gotten, I'm way better. I've gotten way better. I used to, I used to just sit and toil over. I just remember not releasing. I remember not releasing content for like 
an extra week because I was like, well, I'm not sure about the sound mix. And I feel like, I feel like the color correction needs another pass and all this stuff. It's like, no one cares. It's just, if you can see it and it's in focus and you can hear it and the, and the, as long as the audio is not distorted, yeah, just get it out and then move on to the next. You always want, I, I do want to put out high quality content, but um, there is a ceiling where the amount of effort starts to be uh, wasted. So just there's <laughs> uh, the, 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 the whole process over the years has been just about trying to learn as much efficiency as possible. Absolutely. No, that that's, I mean, again, I got the shirt, stop waiting, start creating. That's just a hundred percent. That is the way you have to do it. And that's, that's something that, that I'm st I still have to force myself and people around me have to force me, force me to just be like, stop over to thinking it's fine. Send it. <laughs> Where did the uh, the inception of and oh and as always restop the groin come from, and why has it become like your signature ending? That's so interesting. So like we did that in the very first episode of of Enter the Dojo, where there's an exchange between Master Ken and one of his students where he does a, a technique that's clearly overkill, um, and he ends by restomping the groin. And that was something I had seen. My, my Kempo instructor swears he never said that. Um, I, have a, I have a great Kempo instructor, um, uh, two of them actually, uh, uh, Tony and Erica Potter in Santa Fe that I got my black belt under um, in Kempo. And I swear at some seminar at some point, they said the phrase, re-stomp the groin. And I remember thinking, I remember thinking, why would you ever need to re a groin like if you've stopped at one time that's probably enough right you think like one stomp would do it and um so anyway for some reason i got that in my head i put it in the show and because that particular episode was so popular as i was doing uh shorter instructional videos you know again learning efficiency trying to do things that could go viral um i noticed how many people were commenting every time i didn't restop the groin and so I was, so at first I was like, man, they're always saying that these guys are crazy. And then after, after a while, I was like, no, they really mean it. Like they're upset. It's, it's like, it's kind of my thing. Now. It's the period on the so, end of the bit. Exactly. And it's, it's a catchphrase. Like once you have a catchphrase, oh, yeah. like that people want that thing. And I realized there were other YouTubers that I watched that I had the same relationship with where I was waiting for the time when they said the thing that I really like that they always say. And so I thought, okay, well, who am I? Favorite thing. Who am I to deny the audience this thing? So then it became, oh man, we've got to end every video like that. We have to end every video like that to the point where we would get done with an entire video and even sometimes maybe start turning the camera off and start turning the lights off and stuff. And then I would be, I'd be holding some equipment and go, I forgot to restomp the groin. And then we would have, I'd, I'd be like, turn the stuff back on. They're going to give me too much static about that uh, yeah no we, we need we need the 20 minute setup for the five second line and then we can end otherwise i'm gonna hear about it so and and that actually made it hard to repurpose old content because there was there was a while where i just didn't do it and so when i go back and share an old video um to remind you know because we are we're always gaining new fans who haven't seen stuff we did five years ago or six years ago and they'll be they're big capital letter comments they're like you didn't restock the groin and i'm like look i know i i know that wasn't uh, that wasn't always our thing it took us a while to learn that so you <laughs> can write a paragraph in the comments explaining like i'm so sorry just our new stuff has it our new stuff has it <laughs> do you have any do you have any restock the groin merch because i would totally rock that that is where we're about to people have been asking for that. We had a, uh, we had a, a couple of companies that we were, uh, subcontracting that to, and then they went away. Um, so we're about in the next month I'm going on tour, um, in the next week, I'm going to be, we have shows. I have a show in Scotland. I have a show in Germany. Wow. So. I'm going to be on the road, but when we, the goal is by the time we come back, we're going to relaunch some new merch. Oh uh, yeah. It's been a minute. Um, and we need some new, some new stuff for the fans. So yes, that's, that's coming back. <laughs> awesome. I will, uh, I will be first in line for that. That's epic. So I, it's funny because my next question was about what's coming up for you. So you said you're traveling the world with, with master Ken. That's amazing. 
Yeah, it's um, you know, it's still going to be a busy year. I'm creating a lot of content that uh, that um, uh, is engaging with fans that people are liking, and um, these live events are really fun because um, a lot of martial arts events, whether they're seminars or banquets or whatever, tend to be kind of serious. You know, oh, yeah, absolutely. Self defense, you know, that's the genre that we're in, and so. Um, I'm kind of, I've become for some people kind of the go-to guy to sort of lighten things up and play around and stuff like that. And so that provides an opportunity to travel, not just the country, but the world and, um, pop in and, and, and tell some jokes and shoot some fun videos with people. And, uh, I love doing it. And so, yeah, we're, um, so, uh, I'll be doing a, an event for, um, an organization called the WUKF in Scotland, then going to another event called the Karate Praxis in Frankfurt, Germany, um, and then doing an event um, in Italy in September, so uh, it's just going to be, it's just going to be, a, it's an opportunity to travel, to create content, to do what I love, and to meet you know, all these great people. Um, the fans are always really great; they're always so excited um, to do content and take pictures and see the performance and everything. So, That's yeah, cool. yeah. So doing that, and then and then getting in the process of we're going to be releasing our feature film um, uh, that we made that is is outside of the world of Ken. Yeah. Uh, uh, I like I said, I wrote and directed my first feature film a year and a half ago, and so that we're going to have that um, out to fans. Um, I think by the fall, um, and so yeah, more about that. So, so I wrote a I wrote a a, a movie uh, years ago called Cop versus Killer, and it was basically uh, about a sheriff, small town, small town sheriff in a desert town, who um, does a traffic stop, gets shot and left for dead, and uh, the killer takes his badge his gun in his car and starts posing as him um terrorizing the town and i'm so i play the sheriff um i i directed and started the movie and i'm like trying to chase down the killer before he kills everybody um and um uh yeah we shot that down at truth or consequences uh new mexico a year and a half ago with uh with a company triangle triangle u studios who helped us produce that film they were oh yeah and um uh, yeah, it's something I've always wanted to do. The script has been sitting around for a while and, um, an opportunity to make it with like a tiny bit of money came up and I even looked at the, we looked at the budget and we we're like, oh, this really isn't enough money to make this movie, but I've been seeing, I'm going to make a movie for 10 years and I, I keep not making it. So back to what we're talking about, stop waiting, start creating. It was like, you know what? It's never going to be the right time. There's never going to be enough money. This is like do or die, and uh, uh, and again to to my to my girlfriend's credit, like sheep, I I a few times was like, we just shouldn't do this. Just not enough money, and it's going to be too hard, and it's going to be it's going to be miserable, and it's you know it's like it's it's like I really want to do this, but and she's like I feel like you should do it anyway, and I was like, you're right. <laughs> so you got a good one. You got a good one when your partner can uh, support you like that. It's uh, yeah. that's that's the best you can have. Yeah, so I'm really excited for people to see the film. It's something I've wanted to do for a long time. And so, um, yeah, we're going to be getting that out. So that's the balance right now is like continuing to grow the um, the Master Ken brand every year. And uh, while also also finding a way to do those projects where I do get to kind of dig in and really like, you know, because this, this movie has been... Uh, a passion project for a long time. And th you know, th there's, uh, we're, we shot the movie very quickly, but spent months in post-production trying to get it as bad and the best that it could be. And, uh, yeah, I'm excited for people to see it. That's so cool. That's, uh, that's kind of the dream for me because I'm a, I'm a filmmaker. So this is like the side project that's keeping me creative between jobs. And, uh, and eventually, hopefully if, uh, if content can take off and, and money can start coming in, that'll go towards, you know, feature films, which is, you know, that's, we always we all have that itch, like the <laughs> yeah, and it's, and I will say like I would it, just the experience of doing it was worth every penny because the main like I, I'm passionate about the process, but the main reason I want to make another one is to apply all the things I learned from all the stupid mistakes I made on the first one because I thought I knew what I was doing because I've made dozens of short films, I've made hundreds of YouTube videos, and a feature film is a completely different animal and it's like i want to hurry up and and do another one in the next you know year so that i can fix all the there were just so many things that i should have known better <laughs> and and so it's like 
I just, I, I'm, I'm really in a hurry to apply all that knowledge. What are, what are like the top three things that you learned that you're ready, that you're like excited to fix on the next one? So the first one I would say is, um, preparation. I knew, I knew this going in, but like, even though I'd had the script lying around for a long time, I didn't have a cohesive plan on how to shoot the movie. And we went from a conversation that maybe somebody had some money to invest to principal photography in eight weeks. And wow, it was not enough time. We <laughs> said it wasn't enough time. The investors said it wasn't enough time. We all knew we were walking into this and it was, and they, we were all right. We were all like, it was the, the movie. Yeah, we knew it. It wasn't enough time. <laughs> yeah. The movie should not be as good as it is considering what a disastrous lack of a plan there was. Um, but, but we, 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 we adapted, we, we made it work. Um, but the number of things that, that really were just the number of scenes I had to change or mm. cut or rethink just because we were missing a certain prop on the day, or I hadn't really thought about where we were going to be able to put the camera safely during a, a, a stunt or something. I was just like, Oh, if I had just thought about this a little bit, it's like, I, you know, so, so preparation would be the number one. Um, the number two would be, and this is the most, I would feel like this is the most important one is like, um, not, not spending to solve problems, um, mm. solve it in the script stage, solve it in the prep stage. We, every time we ran into a roadblock, um, I started putting some of my own money into the movie, just being like, well, we got to have this thing, you know, and it's, I mean, it's a thousand dollars, but I mean, we got to have this thing. And, um, that only has to happen a couple times before you're like, this is getting out of hand, you know, <laughs> uh, and so, um, solving, uh, just refusing to spend money, refuse, yeah. absolutely. And I, that's something I, I, uh, Robert Rodriguez's book, Rebel Without a Crew is still one of my favorite books. Um, he's a hundred percent right. It's a and I, I broke that rule multiple times and I will not do it again. I absolutely will not do it again. I will, I will, I now know from experience why you just solve the problem without money period because he's as he says in his book like once you start the money hose going it's pretty hard to turn it off and so i absolutely would not do that and then the third thing i would say is like i would say don't listen to um i have immense respect for a lot of the people that i've worked with and known and connected with and been mentored by but don't listen to other people about the way things should be done by industry standards because unless you have industry money, that doesn't apply. If you have if you have five million dollars or twenty million dollars or hundred million dollars, absolutely. But if you're making a, a low budget film, um, none of that matters. None of it. In fact, if anything, it will hurt you and your film to try to act like you're a big right. movie. Right. So don't do any of that. Don't 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 listen to anybody say, well, it's only a real movie if you shoot on this camera. It's only a real movie if you have X, Y, and Z in your movie. It's like, none of that is real. None of that is real. Make your movie with what you have available. Make it exactly the way that you want um, because that's the benefit of making a small movie. Because when you're on a big movie, you have a bunch of people standing over your shoulder telling you what to do and second-guessing all your choices. So the beauty of making a small movie is you get to do whatever you want. So I several times believed people when they said, well, it's not a real movie unless you do this. And I would do that thing and it would be an overly expensive, overly complicated process that would take too much time that no one is going to notice that we right. did. And so I was like, wow, why did I do that? I, I just, I second guessed my own judgment on it. And, um, that, and, and to, to their, to their credit, that was something that came up a couple of times with, um, uh, Triangle U Studios. They had done a couple of movies before our movie. And they warned me about that a couple of times where they were like, I feel like you're listening to the wrong people on these. And I was like, Ugh. now in retrospect, I'm like, yeah. Okay. So, so, so on the next one, what I, what I really want to do is I want to work in a very contained budget. I want to only use the equipment that we own. I don't want, I don't want to rent anything unnecessarily. I want to um, keep the process as contained as possible so that we are in control over our movie. We're not always like waiting on somebody we hired who is doing something for 
such an extreme discount that they don't want to do the job. <laughs> right. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. The rental houses are pissed and stuff. Yeah, you pull all these favors and then because you're paying so little, they don't really treat you like a priority because you're paying so little. So it's like, don't even make those deals. Just find a way to go around all those people. Not because they're not good people. It's just like they're used to dealing with high dollar projects. So when you've got the high dollars, go right to them. But if you don't have it, don't even deal with them. Make your movie and keep it contained and and make your own rules and just follow those. So That's fantastic advice. Uh, you know, it get, it gets it done. And, and again, it's the back to the done is better than perfect. Like, absolutely. That's, 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 and that, that is one thing that, that I, I would say about the, I, I had held off on making this movie for 10 years. Cause like, well, if I want to do it, I want to do it right. Right. And then, oh my goodness. Like, you know, like I said, because of the circumstances that were available to us, it, it we went from no plan to shooting in eight weeks. And it would, nothing was perfect about what we did. Like, it, you know, it was like, shoot, I could have done this 10 years ago. Like if it, was just, <laughs> if it was just deciding to do the movie and throwing it together, why did we do that 10 years ago? <laughs> what was the, what was the budget for it? I will say it is, um, I don't know if I'm allowed to say it is yeah, fair. It might be an idea on it. <laughs> not a mariachi budget, but it's not a, it's not a million dollar movie either. It's, it's a, it's a very, it's. It's very contained for what it should be, considering that we had, um, we had cars, the car stuff, we had um, gunplay, we had yeah, martial, yeah. we had martial arts fight scenes, we had, um, we had nine locations in ten days. Um, it w- again, these are all things where, I, like, before I was even done shooting that movie, I was like, the next movie is a haunted house movie. It happened <laughs> one location. The entire movie happens in one location. I don't care what it's about. Yeah. I am never doing this again. This is insanity. Having to show up to a location, prep it, shoot it all day, and then wrap it at the end of like a 14 or 16 hour day. I was like, I am never doing this again. <laughs> the grip, the grips were like, this is hell. This is literal. Oh, hell. They were, uh, and they were such good sports, but like we would finish <laughs> We would finish an absolute backbreaker of a day and then we just look at all the gear they were going to have to put on the truck and just be like, oh my God, you know, (laughs) it was, it was, it was torture. It was, it was, it was a rewarding experience, but at the same time, um, I would not do it that way ever again. That's, that is the, the best description of indie film I've ever heard. (laughs) (laughs) You're going to keep coming back because you love it and you hate it while you're doing it, and then you end the day, and you're, out, you're having a beer, and you're like, "Well, that was fun." <laughs> yeah, exactly. You have enough time to forget the pain of it to be like, "Well, maybe if I did it a little differently, maybe it would be easier next time." And it's like, it's not gonna be. It's like you seem to find new problems. In fact, I just acted in a film. Um, I just acted in an indie feature comedy called "The Stress Is Killing Me." Um, a really fun script, uh, written and directed by a gentleman named Tom Carroll here in Albuquerque. And half the reason I really loved the script and I was excited about it and ended up being a great cast and it was a really fun experience. Um, but when I saw that it was, it, it was a, a 10 day shoot, but it was all contained in one location. It was all in a house. That was the other half of the reason I signed on where I was like, I want to see how this goes. And even though they did a great job and it really was in many ways, a way less stressful set than our set was. I still, I, I, I got to know everybody and I saw it like there were still production problems. There was still, uh, issues with personnel. There were still issues with scheduling. There were still budgetary issues. Like it, like just the act of it never goes away, never goes away. So I was, so it, it did also dispel the idea of like, oh, well, if you just do one all in one house, then it's going to be fine. It's like, no, 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 it still sucks. It's still a, it's still a harrowing, like a, it's still a difficult process that is so hard, but, um, it was a new model. And so I, that was half of what I loved about being on set for that movie was like, just watching being like, okay, this is their approach to this. What would I, what can I learn from them? You know? So, yeah. So it's, uh, it's it, the, the great thing about it is like, every time you finish, you are, you're already better by the time you finish, you're already better at your job. By the time you finish, the hard thing is like getting another one going. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's what the, uh, the, you know, there's seven year old Oscar winners that are, Still, when that when they're for, when that first job that they have for the month or whatever finishes, they're like, oh, "I'm never working again." 
Yeah, that's that's the thing. That's I remember. I can't remember which filmmaker it was uh, who says some some filmmaker said that like uh, one of the hardest things about filmmaking is that it's difficult to practice yeah, because yeah. there can be two years in between your films, you know, and so it's like you'll remember the process, but like it might take a few days, and you only have a few days to shoot. So it's like, yeah, it's it's a but but you know, um, ultimately very rewarding and oh, the best. Yeah. <laughs> well, I'm excited to uh, to see that and and push that when it when it uh, when it comes out. Yeah, I'll be able to let you know. Yeah, I, I, yeah. Be be loud and and hit me up. <laughs> uh, outside of your career and all your creative stuff, and it might be the same with your answer. What is uh, what's a hobby that just kind of takes you out of it and and helps you relax? You know what? What's sort of it's a weird thing to say relaxing but um uh i i recently uh recently reconnected with um training in jujitsu mm. um and i i had trained i hadn't religiously trained in jujitsu for 20 years i had i had done it back when like when like hoist gracie was in the ufc like it was a lot it was like when when jujitsu was kind of new to everybody um and i i just i hadn't really re- religiously trained in it for a long time and so um I started training in it more recently and the first six months were not relaxing. Um, <laughs> they were very, very challenging, but, but then after, after about six months of sort of getting my ass kicked and like, you know, not really knowing anything, I started to like pick up on some things, started to get the hang, the hang of it. And honestly, it's been a great way to store, stay centered. Um, you know, to know that like at the, at the end of almost every day, like I'm going to go to class and forget about whatever's going on with my work. And I'm just going to focus on my training. And, um, that's been really rewarding. In fact, right after this, I've got, uh, open mat at, uh, at, uh, our jujitsu school. So I'll go and get, you know, get strangled by some, by some friends. <laughs> <laughs> that, yeah, I've, uh, that's the classic. I uh, just, yeah, I'm going to go beat up my friends. They're going to beat me up and then we're going to have a great time afterwards. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> well, man, I appreciate it. I want to, uh, like kind of roll out the red carpet for you a little bit, tell people what you got going on. Uh, I know we've covered a little bit, but anything else you want them to know about? Yeah. You know, the main thing I would say is like, uh, you know, if, if anyone watching has, uh, is not familiar, uh, with master Ken or hasn't watched in a while, cause sometimes people kind of lose track of, of, of our stuff. We try to still try to release a, a video, at least one or two videos every week. So just like look up master Ken on your favorite social media. Cause we're on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok, And then, um, yeah. Keep your eyes peeled for cop versus killer. Um, it's going to be available on Amazon later this year. And, uh, we're like super excited to get it out and start promoting that. Um, uh, those are, those are the two biggest things I would say. Oh yeah. We'll definitely go check those out. And, uh, I appreciate your time and I could talk to you for another two hours, but I want to get you to class <laughs> and, uh, yeah, man, I, I super appreciate it. And for everybody listening or watching, I will see you next time. <laughs>